It's early summer 1980, and August Bush III is looking for a distraction. The air in the Anheuser-Busch conference room in St. Louis has grown stale and heavy as a meeting drags on. As a wholesaler talks, August III stands up and starts pacing the room. Keep, keep going, I'm just stretching my legs. As the wholesaler resumes his monologue, August III wanders over to the company's chief brewer and whispers a challenge in his ear. Make me a recipe for a light version of Budweiser. When Miller Lite first made a splash six years ago, August III dismissed light beer as a fad. Now, it's clear low-calorie beer is here to stay. Anheuser-Busch's existing light beers, Natural Light and Michelob Light, are selling, but not so well that they're keeping Miller execs up at night. August III reckons a light beer blessed with a hallowed Budweiser name might change that. As the meeting ends, the chief brewer marches over and hands August III a slip of paper. What's this? The brewer grins. The recipe for Budweiser Light. Already? When can I taste it? I'll start today, so it'll be ready three months from now. By early 1981... Anheuser-Busch is preparing to bring Budweiser Light to market. First come soft launches of Budweiser Light in nine test markets. Then the company pours eye-watering sums into poaching Miller's sponsorship deals with almost every major basketball, baseball, and NFL team. Finally, it develops thousands of marketing strategies tailored to nearly every place and demographic in the country, from winning over Baltimoreans to wooing Mexican-Americans. But even with all this, August the 3rd still can't shake his trepidation. Budweiser Light has to be a home run. Anything less will cast doubt on the power of the Budweiser brand and bolster Miller's standing. This launch will be the biggest gamble of August III's career, and he knows that whatever happens, it will be a turning point in the Battle of the Brews. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. 
On the last episode, Anheuser-Busch put the brakes on Miller's rise to the top by undermining the distinctiveness of its High Life and Light brands. Now, August Bush III wants Budweiser Light to deliver the knockout blow. This is Episode 5, Surprise Attack Dog. It's March 1982, and Budweiser Light is arriving in liquor and grocery stores with a bang. Anheuser-Busch is spending $50 million on the rollout, its biggest product launch in brewing history yet. One of the brand's iconic Clydesdale horses gallops through a meadow in slow motion at virtually every TV commercial break. Born of tradition, nurtured by pride, Budweiser Light with a clean, distinctive taste, a light beer worthy of the king of beers. Bring out your best. Budweiser Light, soon to be renamed Bud Light, instantly becomes the number two light beer. Miller Light's once runaway growth slows to a crawl. Anheuser-Busch is attacking Miller with not one, but three rival light beers, Michelob Light, Natural Light, and Bud Light. August the 3rd calls the strategy bracketing, and it's leaving Miller Light with no space to stand out. He's also using Budweiser and Bush to overshadow Miller's flagship beer, High Life. And Miller's being forced out of sports, too. Anheuser-Busch is paying a premium for the biggest sponsorships. By early 1984, there's panic within Miller. Anheuser-Busch is gouging chunks out of High Life's market share. Since 1979, sales of High Life have tumbled 28%. Miller Vice President William Howell summons the company's New York ad agency to Milwaukee to explain what's going wrong. The agency's account manager is dreading this meeting. Howell's a gruff ex-Marine who can make even friendly meetings feel tense. True to form, Howell cuts to the chase. Well, have you figured out why High Life's dying? The beer market is shrinking, sir. The baby boomers are starting families and drinking less. The new generation of young people is smaller. They aren't making up for the lost baby boomers. Plus, now it looks like Congress might approve that bill pushing states to raise the drinking age to 21. Howell cuts in. Every brewer faces those challenges. I want to know what's going wrong with High Life specifically. The account manager takes a deep breath. He knows he can't sugarcoat this. High Life's problem is the ads. The ads his agency created. I'll be frank. Budweiser took the principle behind the Miller Time campaign and did it better with This Bud's For You. Also, Anheuser-Busch is putting its money into local media campaigns while we're still doing national ads. Finally... We made a mistake by targeting under-25s in recent ads. That may have alienated older drinkers. You better give me a damn good reason why I shouldn't drop your agency then. Well, we think High Life can recover, sir. Contrary to what the beer industry believes, brands do make comebacks. Now, to turn things around, we should focus on taking market share away from Coors and Pabst rather than going after Budweiser. Howell's unconvinced. When he becomes Miller president that summer, he brings in a new ad agency. 
They ditch that aging Miller time campaign and try giving High Life a patriotic sheen. Miller's made the American way. Born and brewed in the USA. Just as proud as the people who are drinking it today. Miller's made the American way. The flag waving doesn't help. High Life's decline continues. But then Miller finds a glimmer of hope across the Pacific Ocean. It's late 1984, and Miller's new products chief is visiting a brewery on the northern Japanese island of Hokkaido. The brewery is owned by Sapporo Breweries. That's Japan's second largest beer maker. It's also behind Japan's new thirst for draft beer in bottles and cans. To the Miller executive, the idea of draft beer in a bottle or a can seems like an oxymoron. Draft beer means beer from the tap, right? How can anything served in a can be called draft beer? So that's why he's come to Hokkaido. He wants to find out what this draft beer is and why it's gone from non-existent to capturing nearly half the Japanese market in just seven years. The brewery's manager leads him into a sectioned-off room within the plant. It's as sterile as a pharmaceutical laboratory. The floors and metal surfaces are so polished, they double as mirrors. Here, we cold-filter the beer through these ceramic cylinders. The Miller executive peers at the cylinders, each one's about the size of his arm. The beer is filtered through these four times before packaging. Cold filtering removes the microbes just as effectively as pasteurization, but doesn't harm the taste. It has the smoothness of draft beer only in a bottle. The Miller executive grins. This, he thinks, is just what Miller needs to get an edge over Anheuser-Busch. And in 1986, Miller Genuine Draft makes its debut. Drinking Miller Genuine Draft will remind you of the best beer you ever had. Because it's cold filtered for real draft smoothness. It's beer at its best. Genuine Draft rapidly gains a following and soon rival brewers are jumping on the bandwagon with their own draft beers. Just as it did in the 70s, Miller's introduced a new type of beer into the U.S. mainstream. But while Genuine Draft soon becomes America's ninth most popular lager, its success doesn't give Miller the boost it hoped for. And that's because Anheuser-Busch unleashes a surprise attack dog on Miller Lite. Spuds McKenzie is Bud Light's newest advocate, but he isn't a person or a dude. Spuds is a female bull terrier with flatulence that can halt entire ad shoots. Not that anyone cares because Spuds is an 80s sensation. Since his first commercial in 1987, he's appeared on talk shows and even has his own line of beachwear. Spuds is a bona fide star. He also sells lots of beer. Thanks to Spuds, sales of Bud Light jumped 20% in just a year. 
But Spud's not only winning over beer drinkers, he's also winning over kids. And when children start wearing Spud's t-shirts promoting Bud Light, the backlash is fierce. Faced with outraged parents and politicians, the company drops its sales-boosting pooch. By then, however, Bud Light is only a whisker away from ending Miller Lite's days as the market-leading light beer. And Spud's isn't the only party animal making waves at Anheuser-Busch. August Bush IV, the boss's 25-year-old son, is rising up the executive ranks. He's known in the company as a guy who likes to party hard. Stories abound of him being involved in high-speed police chases and wild nights on the town that are fueled by more than just alcohol. Then, there's also the mystery of what really happened in Tucson the night of November 13, 1983. Police found August the 4th's wrecked Corvette on a back road next to the body of the cocktail waitress who'd been riding in the passenger seat. Police find August the 4th in his bedroom, buck naked and covered in blood, with a semi-automatic at the foot of his bed. No charges were ever brought. But now, six years later, August the 4th seems a changed man. Outwardly, the wild child is now his father's mini-me. He's all slicked back short hair and pressed white shirts. And... Pa's just about ready to give him a leg up the career ladder. It's 1989, and Anheuser-Busch's vice president of marketing, Jack McDonough, is in the office of CEO August III. And this broad-shouldered marketing executive does not like what he's hearing. August, please don't do this. Michelob Dry is doing really well. If you bring out a Bud Dry, you'll just kill it. Dry beer is the latest buzz in Japan. It's a lager brewed to create a low-calorie drink with more alcohol than standard light beers. And this time, Anheuser-Busch jumped on the trend before Miller with the launch of Michelob Dry in 1988. It's been a smash hit, but now August the 3rd wants to add a Budweiser-branded dry beer to the company portfolio. Jack, we need Bud Dry. Budweiser's peaked, and that means new extensions are the best way to keep the brand growing. McDonough shakes his head. Bud distributors will ditch Michelob Dry to make way for Bud Dry. I'm telling you, August, we'll be cannibalizing our own brand. Yes, but, but Bud Dry will more than make up the difference. Unable to sway his boss, McDonough relents. Okay, I'll prepare a marketing plan. No need. No need. August the 4th will be brand manager of Bud Dry. McDonough is horrified. He thinks August the 4th is far too green to handle a campaign this big. But he also knows August the 3rd has fired people for stammering or not shaving off their beards. There's no way he's going to openly question his decision. The following year... Bud Dry launches to strong sales in a $70 million blaze of publicity. Once the launch hype fizzles out, though, Bud Dry's sales tumble. But before that happens, August III promotes his son to brand director of Budweiser and boots McDonough into the company's underdeveloped international division. So, when a headhunter phones McDonough in the summer of 1992... 
he takes the call. A month later, a nervous McDonough enters August the 3rd's office. Chief, I'm resigning and joining Miller as its new president. August the 3rd gives McDonough a surprised look. Surely you don't want to spend your career being second best. Come on, let's talk. McDonough shakes his head. He knows August the 4th's being primed for the throne. And that means he'll never rise any higher at Anheuser-Busch. Sorry, I've made my decision. I'm going. Very well. I'll call security and have them escort you out. August the 3rd knows this spells trouble. McDonough's been part of his inner circle for 15 years. He knows the Anheuser-Busch playbook and all of its trade secrets. And now, Miller will know too. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's fall, 1992, and Miller President Jack McDonough is about to explain his strategy to his senior team in Milwaukee. But first, the 48-year-old boss has a bone to pick. He stands and waves a single-page memo in the air. I got this this morning. I want to read it to you. Our sales team in El Paso, Texas, requests permission to buy 15 neon signs. The signs are for promotional use in local bars. Please approve or reject. McDonough pauses to let the executives squirm. Does this company look like a mom-and-pop store, I ask you? Why the hell am I being asked to approve some two-bit purchase in El Paso? Is this normal? The executives nod nervously. Well, well, we start changing that today. The push for more devolved decision-making is only the start of McDonough's new broom at Miller. His big plan is to step up the creation of new products. He wants Miller to have a brew for every kind of beer drinker. So, he orders the company's brewmasters to start developing new beers and start refitting the factories to handle multiple low-volume products. 
He also drops the long, drawn-out market tests Miller's been doing since the 1970s. He wants market tests done fast and with precision. McDonough's first new product launch is Ice House, a lager designed to tap into two new trends. The first is the new ice brewing process that's popular in Canada. The second is the explosive growth of microbreweries and craft beers fueled by consumers breaking away from the big-name brands. To give Ice House craft beer cachet, McDonough launches it under the name of a fake microbrewery called Plank Road. Hello from Plank Road, where our man Paul is waiting to paint a snappy new slogan on our very first billboard for Ice House Ice Beer. There's only one problem. We don't have a snappy new slogan. You know, one that would let everyone know Ice House is ice brewed, so there's never any watered-down taste. Anheuser-Busch and number 3 brewery Coors copy the tactic and start downplaying their corporate brands with new products aimed at the microbrew crowd. Soon, the big brewers are showering the market with new lockers, and every time one brewer creates anything resembling a new category, they all pile on. They make wheat beers and red beers, brew low-alcohol and no-alcohol beers, pump out berry beers and lime-flavored beers. McDonough's started an arms race, but no matter how quickly he brings out new products, he just can't catch a break. While Miller's market share continues to bob around the 20% level, Anheuser-Busch keeps growing. In 1994, Bud Light replaces Miller Light as the top-selling light beer. The following year, a Super Bowl ad with three croaking animatronic frogs delivers another boost. Bud Wines. Bud Wines. Bud Bud Wines. Bud Wines. Bud Wines. The Budweiser frogs are even bigger than Spud's McKenzie, tripling awareness of Bud among 20-somethings. By 1997, Anheuser-Busch owns almost half of the U.S. beer market, and Miller seems destined to remain a distant second. For Miller owner Philip Morris, it's proof that maybe it's time to let the brewery go. The tobacco giant has now grown so big that Miller accounts for less than 5% of its revenues and offers few growth prospects. So, it starts quietly putting feelers out, looking for a potential suitor for its brewery. But Philip Morris isn't the only one looking to make a big deal in beer. It's 1997, and Marcel Tellis is in the reception area of Anheuser-Busch's head office in St. Louis. Tellus is a 47-year-old Brazilian investor. Together with his two business partners, he owns Brahma, the biggest brewer in Brazil. The trio also owns Brazil's equivalent of Walmart and have a combined net worth of $10 billion. And he's come here with a proposal. After setting into his chair in August the 3rd's office, Tellus reveals why he came. I have a proposal. No, not a proposal, a vision. Let us form the Coca-Cola of beer. August the 3rd stares at the goateed Brazilian. They first met in 1991. Back then, Tellus wanted him to invest in Brahma, 
He wanted a lot of money for not much equity in return. August III declined. He wasn't keen on Tellus's mix of huge ambition and swagger then. And it seems like little's changed since. Tellus nudges his glasses up his nose and continues his pitch. A plan for a three-way merger of Anheuser-Busch, Brahma, and the second biggest brewery in Brazil, Antarctica. Imagine, we would be the brewer of the Americas, unstoppable across two continents. From there, we can take over the world. August the 3rd's not buying it. How would things work after the merger? You would retain oversight in the United States. We run operations everywhere else. Why would we accept that? Because we have the international experience you lack. Anheuser-Busch might be number one in America, but on the global stage, you're barely out of preschool. Now, Tellus is exaggerating slightly, but not by much. Anheuser-Busch has put most of its energy into deepening its hold on the U.S. market, rather than becoming a global giant. I don't think this is for us. The international market is very fragmented. There's no beer with universal appeal across the world like Coca-Cola. What you're trying to do will be very risky and very expensive. Tellus leaves disappointed. But the days when Anheuser-Busch and Miller could ignore what's happening beyond the United States are drawing to a close. Across the globe, breweries are consolidating fast, fusing together into hungry giants that now want in on the American market. On the next episode, Miller gets swallowed, the light beer wars re-erupt, and Anheuser-Busch loses its crown. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever finer podcasts are served. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've been listening to, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Another way to support us is by answering a short survey at Wondery.com survey. And don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been listening Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily. Because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.